Good morning to you all. It's another beautiful Sunday, and indeed God is so good to all of us, isn't he? Amen. My name is Paul Strohshine. My wife, Lydia, and I have been attending TCC for the last four and one-half years. And I might add, we have thoroughly enjoyed and benefited from the ministry that we've experienced. Our scripture this morning is a very interesting one because it's one of the main reasons that we are here today, and it is the gospel being introduced and confirmed to the Gentiles. And a Gentile, Cornelius, has invited Peter to his house. Is just an amazing story. Our scripture is taken from Acts 10, verses 3 to 43. And it's from the New International Version. And Peter gets a chance to speak at Cornelius' house, and here, here is what he says. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who hears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism of John, that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Paul. 
For a second there, I thought Paul was just going to keep preaching. (laughs) And uh, what a great point that because of this event that we're going to look at this morning, we're all here today. And uh, Victoria, special welcome to you. Um, I don't know about you, but I think she'll always be Victoria V to me. Um, I don't know how you would say, pronounce your last name. We might be able to work on that, that sometime. But, you know, uh, we have the Shula family. That's pretty straightforward. The McCarr family. I mean, even if you're a, a, a hockey player or a young upcoming star by the name of Kale McCarr playing for the Colorado Avalanche. Remember that team that beat us in the playoffs? Um, but uh, so we can get those, but I, I don't know. Um, I was going to put them, get them to put them back up, but maybe not. Let's not go there. Um, if you are using the daily Bible reading plan that we make available to you, um, now, if you're not using that, I might ask, why not? But uh, we provide this daily Bible reading plan. Um, it's put together by a pastor uh, named Robert McShane in the uh, early 1800s. And his desire was that his congregation would read the same passages every day. And he put it together so you read through uh, the entire Old Testament once in the year, the New Testament twice, and the Psalms twice. Now, I'm going to warn you, there's a fair amount of reading But the intention is not to say, let's just plow through all of that reading. Um, Maybe you just take one column and you read through it. Maybe you split up. There's actually four different passages that you read on any given day. Maybe you do two in the morning and two at night. And uh, we make it available in a couple of formats. And one is uh, on a weekly basis in our Sunday news, which, by the way, is like our little newsletter. Uh, We attach it to a weekly email. So if you don't get that email, you might want to get that. Um, We also leave hard copies at those ushers cabinets back there. Um, And there's the weekly readings right there. That's just kind of a checklist that you can go through in the reading. And then also at the back table, we have more of like a brochure that actually has the readings for the entire year. And so if you want to follow along um, and kind of read Scripture in community, that would be the way to do it. Now, of course, if you're using kind of an app of some kind, maybe you're using YouVersion, you can search for a Bible reading plan. It's uh, it's an interesting spelling. I think it's M-C-H-E-Y-N-E. Uh, McShane. And um, if you find it on you version, you can use it. I use Dwell. And, uh, and then uh, Bible Gateway is just a free resource, BibleGateway.com. And again, if you go to Bible Reading Plans, you can get that as well. But why do we make a big deal about that? Other than to say that it's important for us to have a practice of, of, uh, of daily scripture reading. We're currently actually reading in these days and the, these coming weeks through the book of Acts. And so it was interesting for me as I was studying this passage, then Friday morning in my devotional time, I'm reading through chapter 9 and then Saturday morning through chapter 10 and then this morning through chapter 11. And so I just invite you um, over these next few days, maybe you want to jump in and just pick up tomorrow morning and, and start reading through, actually start today and read chapter 11 and then tomorrow chapter 12 and, and so on. Have you ever had to stretch beyond your comfort zone? And I've thought about that. There's many probably little different ways that I've had to do that. Most of them are fairly uh, insignificant. Probably one of the ones that stands out for me is, you know, I was born and raised here in Edmonton after seminary. I moved to Calgary. I served a church there. Um, I met Tina. We got married. 
And then we moved to a small town in Ontario. So having lived for basically 30 years of my life in the big city, now I'm in a small town, very culturally different than Alberta. The, the, the town itself was very, very different. I remember one time I, I went to take some clothes to the, to, uh, to the dry cleaner, and, um, and they asked for my name. And she's writing it down, and she looks up, and she goes, you're not from around here, are you? Because in a small town, everybody knows everybody. And so there was a sense that you even felt a little bit like you're on the outside looking in. Maybe you've had that experience as well. My tendency uh, and my preference certainly is uh, that I'm a bit of a creature of habit. I think it drives my wife crazy. I kind of like uh, what I know I know what I like. I'm comfortable with these things. So uh, we tend to go to the same restaurants. I'm not very adventuresome. When I get there, I usually get the same meal as I've had all the other times. We go to usually the same places for vacations just because that's comfortable for me and anything else kind of stresses me out. Now, to some degree, that extends even to relationships. I realize in my own life, and I think it's a fault, actually, is that it is easier to stick with what I know. And maybe you experience this a little bit yourself as well. You see, it's relatively easy to be with people who are like us, who think like us, who have the same beliefs. But it's harder to connect with others than who are different than us. Now, if we're not careful, that particular attitude can maybe lead to a little bit of prejudice. And whether we like to admit it or not, there is some level of prejudice that I believe that we all have to face in our lives. And this is what the Apostle Paul was confronted with in our passage this morning. And as we will see, for the sake of the gospel and the witness of the church, Peter stepped out of his comfort zone. This passage often focuses on the conversion of this man named Cornelius. But what we actually see is a conversion of Peter's heart. Maybe you and I need a change of heart as well this morning. So I invite you to follow along in your Bibles if you have them. We're not going to cover every verse and, uh, and, uh, in this entire passage, but it's, a, it's an amazing uh, narrative here. And so I want to just start by talking about the narrative to explore here. And as we've been discovering through this series in Acts, Luke is this amazing historian. He writes with uh, incredible detail. He's accurate. And it's clear that this event itself is very important to Luke because he narrates it not once but twice. First in his own words in chapter 10, and then from Peter's perspective in chapter 11. And I want to really encourage you to at least read chapter 11 today, because we're not really going to get there this morning. But once uh, you hear this message and then read it, I think it'll help you understand exactly kind of what's going on there. Now, I think it's helpful to know up front why this particular event is such a big deal. You see, this event happens against the backdrop of Jewish hatred of Gentiles. In the narrative, Peter, a Jewish man, has an encounter with Cornelius, a Gentile. Now, a Gentile was basically anyone who was not Jewish, and in New Testament times, this was usually a Roman. And the Jewish people had a deep-seated racial intolerance towards Gentiles. 
Gentiles were considered outsiders, and they were excluded from God's covenant with Israel. It's really hard for us to understand just how divided the Jews and the Gentiles were. You see, the Israelites, they thought that they were God's favorites. Who wouldn't want to be God's favorite? And their pride then caused them to look down on the Gentiles. And that pride eventually became hatred. Pride is always at the root of prejudices. And these Gentiles then were absolutely despised by Jewish people. They considered them dogs. And a Jew would never, ever, ever consider entering into the home of a Gentile, let alone have one come into their own home. And the prejudice of the Jewish person ran deep. Quoting John Stott, which, who has just an amazing commentary on Acts. We've all been referring to it many, many times. And if you are one who likes to do a little bit more uh, deeper studying, especially we're going to accelerate kind of through these next few weeks because we're going to wrap up this study by, um, <clears throat> by the uh, beginning of September. So there's not much time left, um, but I would commend it to you. Um, I think it's just called The World or The Spirit, uh, The Church, and The World. Now, quoting John Stott, this is what he says about this tension between Jews and Gentiles. He says, this then was the entrenched prejudice which had to be overcome before Gentiles could be admitted into the Christian community on equal terms with Jews and before the church could become a truly multiracial, multicultural society. And Luke, at the end of chapter 9 Verse 43, he drops a little hint there that Peter's prejudices are starting to soften a little. And Peter writes there that he, he stayed, this is Peter, stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now we read that and we might just think, okay, well, it's just a detail. What does it really matter? But it actually matters a great deal. Think about this, the trade that this man named Simon was doing. He was a tanner. We know what a tanner is. It's somebody who, who takes the skin off of dead animals and uh, uses the leather hide and makes things with it. The Babylonian Talmud, which is a collection of rabbinic teaching and interpretation that was made uh, uh, during the 3rd through 6th century, says this, Woe to him who is a tanner by trade. Well, okay then. But if you think about it, this tanner handled dead animals. That, that made him ceremonially unclean, which then meant that to be a tanner was, in fact, a demeaning trade from a Jewish perspective. That and their shops tended to stink. And so they were always on the outskirts of town. And later on, Luke has this little detail that, that, that the home where, Pe- where Peter was staying, this Simon the tanner's home, was down by the sea. So it was kind of just, they were ostracized. They were set off to the sidelines. And so let me just um, organize this thought around this narrative in these three ways. First the vision, then the message, and then the result. So the vision. This is a big deal. Peter has this vision. And the text says that he goes up on a roof which is always a good place to go to find a little silence and solitude, a good environment in order to pray. And Luke is so good at giving just the right amount of detail. Peter, he says, he gets hungry while he's praying. 
And so what happens? Just like you and I, we, we maybe get a little distracted, and he starts to think about what else but food. And so this meal is being prepared, and while this is happening, Peter dozes off. The text says he fell kind of into a trance, and in that state, he has this vision. And in chapter 10, verse 11, this is the description of the vision. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Now, if that vision wasn't enough, he then hears a voice. Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Now, wait a second, thought Peter. This doesn't sound kosher. And so he says, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. In other words, he he followed the strict Jewish dietary laws. And so he actually finds this image revolting. So he's having none of it. And verse 15, the voice spoke to him then a second time. He says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened, this vision did not happen once, not happen twice, it actually happened three times. Maybe Peter was a little slow to get the message, but then the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, if you saw a vision like that, you probably would be feeling a little bit like Peter did. He was a little bit confused by it all. The text says that he was left wondering and thinking about the vision. And so what does the vision mean? Well, I'll cut to the chase and quote John Stott again because it's just so good. He just says this, although this vision, okay, the vision of the sheet with, um, with the four-footed animals, the reptiles, and the birds, although this vision challenged the basic distinction between clean and unclean foods, which Peter had been brought up to make, the Spirit related this to the distinction between clean and unclean people and told him to stop making it. And Peter gets it. Because later in verse 28, chapter 10, he says, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. That's what I was referring to earlier. But he says, God has shown me through this vision that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And so to to prove it then, the Gentile men who had been sent by Peter to Cornelius or sorry, to Peter by Cornelius, they stayed then with Peter as his guests in Simon the Tanner's home. And so now, if you're following along in your Bibles, picking up in verse 25, Peter ends up being a guest then in Cornelius' home. So he travels from, from Joppa to Caesarea. Cornelius is there having a house party. His relatives and close friends there were there. Luke describes it as a large gathering of people. Now, all of this is coming about because Cornelius himself also had a vision while he was praying. 
He was told by an angel to get Peter over to his house. And so in verses 30 to 33, Cornelius explains what his experience was. And then in verse 33, he says this, Now we are all here in the presence of God. So this large gathering, he says, we're all here in the presence of God. He says, to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Every preacher's dream. Right? What an opening. What an opportunity, this receptive and eager audience who says, listen, we've gathered in God's presence to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. As an aside, I think that's a great way to come to church, eager, desiring to listen to everything that God might say to us. And so Peter begins, And these are the verses that Paul then read for us. But now with some background, maybe they make a little bit more sense. And Peter says at the end of it, humbly, or at the beginning, sorry, humbly and contritely. And it's absolutely clear that he has now learned from his experience that this vision had changed his heart. And in verse 34 and 35, he says, I now realize. In other words, he's saying, I was wrong. I had it all backwards. But I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. In other words, God accepts those who come to him in faith and repentance. God does not look at anything external, he looks at the heart. And he sees beyond race and culture and nationality and appearance and class. Not that we then do what is right in order to be accepted by God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that because we are accepted, we then have a desire to live rightly, to live in obedience, to live according to God's word. This is the message then he has for everyone. Because in verse 43, again, he makes it clear, everyone, everyone who believes in him, who believes in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That salvation is available to everyone who believes, to every single person across the entire world, to those who would put their faith in Jesus. Now, Peter's heart has changed. But what doesn't change for Peter is his message. Look at these verses now, because the message that Peter shares is, in fact, the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. His message covers three important events, factual events, about the life of Jesus. So, number one, he talks about his life, beginning in verse 37 through the first half of verse 39. He says to this audience who's now eager to hear what, uh, what, what, they're gonna, what he should say to them, eager to, to, like I said, listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And he looks at them and he says, you know what has happened. You know what has happened. In other words, he recognizes some of their common knowledge about the life of Jesus. Stories about Jesus were being shared with people how he was empowered by God through the Holy Spirit, how he healed people, the lame walked, the deaf could hear. And the life of Jesus was this living testimony of the power of God at work in his life. 
And Peter says, we are witnesses of everything he did. Again, going back to McShane's Bible reading, it was earlier in the week reading Mark chapter 3, and it was the calling of his disciples. And as I was reading that, there was one little phrase, just as it talked about the calling of the disciples, he said, to be with him. That was the purpose of the calling of the, of the disciples, the apostles who would follow Jesus. The purpose was to be with him. Why were they with him? So they could witness, be eyewitnesses of everything that Jesus did. They followed him around. They were with him, and they saw the way that he lived his life. And so Peter talks about his life and all that has happened. And then he talks, secondly, about his death. Verse 39b says, they killed him by hanging him on a cross. And again, just a simple reminder that Jesus bore our sins. He died in the place of sinners. You see, the penalty for sin is death, and somebody had to pay the penalty. And so Jesus stepped in and took upon him a debt that he did not owe. And so his message is quite simply the gospel, his life, his death, and thirdly, what? His resurrection. And you see Peter doing this several times already in Acts. This was the gospel message. He lived, he died, he rose again. Because verse 40, But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. His resurrection was verified by others who had seen him alive. You see, Christianity is not just some some theory. It's based on factual events from the life of Jesus here on earth. Sure, you and I have have not seen the risen Jesus with our own eyes, but the resurrection itself is a historical fact that a whole host of reliable witnesses can attest to. And our faith rests on that fact. And so Peter gets up, he's given an opportunity to preach the gospel, and he starts not with, this is how Jesus can change your life, This this is what he means, you can have way more peace. No, he says, listen, Jesus died for our sins. He lived, he died, and he rose again. And look at then lastly at the result. Because the text says that while Peter was still preaching, all who were present must have come to faith in Jesus because the Holy Spirit came on them in the same way that he had come on the Jewish people at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And so this was a sign to Peter that absolutely and unequivocally God does not show favoritism, but He accepts anyone who seeks the truth. And He said in verse 47 then, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Just as we have. Now it's interesting to note, and uh, I, I hope I don't go off too much of a rabbit trail here, but Cornelius, this Gentile, who has this vision, who calls for Peter, Peter shares this. He's one of these people who are converted. And one of the descriptions about Cornelius himself is that that he, in fact, was a devout person. He's described as a God-fearing person. He's a generous person. And he prayed. But one thing he missed is he didn't know Jesus. He did not put his faith in Jesus until 
this event. And so if God now accepted all of these people that had been gathered in this home of Cornelius, the point simply is this. What was to prevent the church then from accepting all of them into fellowship? And so Paul's, or Peter says they're all baptized, which, be, which was this outward sign that, that demonstrates the reception of people into the family of God. And so that's the narrative that is being shared here. The vision that Peter had, the message that he shared, and the result of the preaching of the gospel. So let me just touch on a couple of lessons to learn, and then I want to try to give us some really practical practices to pursue. Some lessons to learn, and again, anytime you come to the text, God's Spirit works, and, and, and maybe there's already something that you're just like thinking about. That's the Spirit of God at work in your life. I haven't even had to say anything, but, but God's Spirit is just pressing some truth home into your heart, and, uh, and, and that's for you. But here, here are some specific ones that I think are important for us to consider this morning. And the first one is this. It's just that the gospel is for everyone. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is for everyone. And we need to have a right attitude toward the whole world. There is absolutely no culture or race or ethnic group that is somehow excluded from the grace of God. Many will say that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no higher-ups. There's no hierarchy. There's no looking down on others. It's recognizing that when the gospel message is given to everyone. And so, friends, can I ask you, are there people in your life that maybe you tend to write off a little bit? Maybe somebody you work with, and they're just hardened. They don't want anything to do with, you know, Christianity. And we just think, oh, they will absolutely never, ever come to faith in Christ. Can I encourage you today with this? We absolutely do not know how God is at work in another person's life. Okay? God is at work, and He's at work in each of our lives. And He may just see fit for us to, to cross paths with someone that we never, ever would have expected. Just like Peter and Cornelius coming together. And if you go back and, and read from the beginning of chapter 10, read through the whole narrative by yourself, and you're going to see that God's working in Cornelius' life, and he's working in Peter's life. They both have this vision. It comes together, and they end up in the same home together. Because that is how God works. And ultimately, Cornelius comes to that place and he says, listen, I'm here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell me. And so, friends, let's rejoice in that, that the gospel message is for everyone. Secondly, we can learn that the Spirit is for everyone. You see, the Spirit of God does not discriminate as the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard Peter's message, it was a sign that God accepts people from every nation and works in the hearts of believers then to do the same. And so in Christ, there's no basis for discrimination of any kind. There's absolutely no room for prejudices. 
We have no right then to keep the gospel message, the good news, to ourselves. Now, let's recognize this, that we're broken people. We don't, we don't always get it right. In fact, if you read then in Acts chapter 11, the, Peter shows up back in Jerusalem, and he's severely criticized for having this encounter with these Gentiles. And so Peter goes on and he tells them the story about what happened and about the vision and about the, 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 the worship service in Cornelius' home and how the Spirit of God came upon them. And then finally in verse 18 it says, when they heard this, this is in chapter 11, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so they acknowledge it there, that God was at work in the, in the lives of these Gentiles. Now, we're going to come across again in Acts 15, where there's a bit of some issues with this, that maybe they didn't quite get it yet. And I think it just speaks to the fact that we recognize that we're a work in progress. And so the gospel is for everyone, the Spirit is for everyone. And last lesson I think that we can take from this is just everyone can be used by God. Everyone can be used by God. You see, there was an angel that first appeared to Cornelius, and and God could have used that angel to preach the message, but instead God wanted to use Peter. Now, every follower of Jesus who receives the Holy Spirit, everyone then is empowered to be a witness. We've been studying this multiple times in different ways. We're given, the Bible says, a spiritual gift with which to, to serve others. And so everyone has a, has a unique spiritual gift given for the express purpose of serving others. And so our role is to discover what is our spiritual gift and recognize that God wants to use us. And sometimes it, it might be with a Cornelius in our life, somebody who's very different, somebody that, that maybe we don't regularly associate with. And we realize now that God shows no favoritism. And so we go to those and we live life together. Well, let me give you a couple of practices then to pursue. Three again. Number one, be a missionary. Take on a missionary mindset. Because as you read the New Testament, you'll discover that every follower of Jesus is, in fact, to be a missionary. And when we take on a missionary mindset, I believe that it first and foremost starts with prayer. That we, we pray for opportunity. We pray for God. I, I will be a missionary. You, you're calling me. You're sending me. Where you send me, I'll go. I'll do what you ask me to do. And so when we're at prayer, we discover that that is a place where God speaks to us. We combine the reading of God's Word with prayer. And and many of you know the truth of that. Most of us do. But we pray and God speaks. And so what do we do really practical about that? I want to suggest to you two things about being a missionary. One is that we first open our hearts, that we open our hearts, and that as a a missionary, we're mindful of the people that God may be bringing into our lives. And if we open our hearts 
then he may be calling us to cross the street. You see, we don't have to cross salt water for a cross-cultural mission experience. I've had cross-cultural mission experiences. I've been to Cameroon on missions. I've been to Nicaragua. I've been to El Salvador a couple of times. But we don't need to send missionaries overseas when every one of us is called to be a missionary right where God has planted us. Because if you look around, guess what? The world has come to us. Canada is an incredibly multicultural society. And we have an opportunity to be those messengers, those missionaries that God has sent. And so secondly, we not only open our heart, but we open our minds. Where we sit with others and we listen and we learn. And I suspect, just as we saw what happened to Peter here in this narrative, that God has a way of softening our own prejudices if we are at least a little bit willing to learn. So be a missionary. Because, you see, when a missionary goes to overseas to a cross-cultural experience, what do they do? They first learn the culture. They learn the language. They, they, They understand what some of the customs are. And they get to know the people to whom God has sent them. So let's adopt that missionary mindset. Secondly, let's be hospitable. Be hospitable. This isn't just something, for some people this just comes easy. They just have this gift of hospitality, but, but that doesn't let the rest of us off the hook. Because in Romans 12 verse 13, God actually commands simply this, practice hospitality. And hospitality in those days was really opening your home to strangers, people that you you didn't know, and you invited them in. And so, just as to be a missionary, we need to open our heart and open our minds, I want to suggest to you that here we can just open our eyes. Open our eyes and see the opportunities before us. I think that this practice is actually relatively easy at TCC. Because every week we have the opportunity, in fact, brunch or no brunch, but with brunch especially, to practice hospitality. That when you get your food, you can look around and you can say, I don't know that person. Well, that person is maybe a little different than me. I don't know anything about that person. I've never met them before. I need to go and sit with them. And friends, sometimes we get this right. I want to say, I'd like to believe that most of the times we get this right. But there are also times when we don't, and we get it horribly wrong. I've asked for permission from from, uh, Scott and Jackie Howley to share this story because it's both sad um, and encouraging at the same time. But Scott and Jackie, if you've never met them, they came from New Zealand, um, I think about almost six years ago maybe or so. And uh, they landed here, they took a a bus to the church, and they came and they stayed for brunch, and all of these people were gathered around them, and not a single person sat and talked to them. They left, and they thought, well, that was an interesting experience. Do we give it another shot? Well, sure, we, we liked the brunch, that was good, let's go back for the brunch. So they came a second time, and, uh, and nobody talked to them. They sat and ate brunch by themselves again. At this point, we hadn't even known them because nobody's talked to them. Nobody would have heard their accent or or thought, man, they're from New Zealand, you know. So they go home. What are they going to do? 
Well, they had those chocolate croissants. Do you remember those? Oh, man, those were good. And they're like, well, let's at least go back for the chocolate croissants. And if nobody talks to us on this third time, we'll find another church. And God would lead Sid and Faith Page to sit with them and talk to them. They're still part of our church. And I watch Scott during brunch. Chances are, if you are fairly new to the church, you've probably met Scott. Because he knows what it's like to be overlooked. See, friends, we got a problem. We don't have the chocolate croissants anymore. <laughs> they don't make them anymore. But if we open our eyes and sit and eat with someone who's different, different than our regular group of friends, where we recognize that as a church, just look around, we're a fellowship of difference. We have different ages, different ethnicities, different marital status. Those of us who who are married probably have no idea what it's like to be single in a room full of married people. Or someone with a visible disability. Maybe we have a child with special needs. Talk to somebody. Find out just how hard that is. So let's open our eyes to be hospitable and secondly, open our homes. You see, brunch is a great start, but when we invite someone who is different to our homes for a meal, we have more opportunity to get to know one another and learn about one another. And this extends not just to people within our church, but I want to encourage you, invite your neighbors I suspect if you think around you, maybe three houses to the right and three houses to the left, maybe a couple of houses across the street, whatever it is, you're going to recognize that there's people from many different cultural and ethnic backgrounds living right around you. Start just with that relationship. Because you never know how God will use that encounter in your life or the life of the person that you invite into your home. Are you with me? Be a missionary, be hospitable, and lastly, be a witness. Open your mouth. Declare truth. Share what Jesus is doing. Romans 1 verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to who? Everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Friends, we have Alpha scheduled to start in September. And I hope as you're thinking about relationships, as you're having conversations and coffees and having meals together in somebody's home and somebody's asking questions, you could just approach and say, I see that you have a lot of questions around the Christian faith. Our church is, is offering this course. It's called Alpha. I'll go with you. So who are you prayerfully thinking about inviting to Alpha starting in mid-September? You see, God calls us to get out of our comfort zones, to stretch beyond our comfort zones. And we simply cannot exclude people who do not agree with us, who are different from us. In fact, that is what makes Christianity beautiful. 
and the church, this good and beautiful community, when we realize that we are in fact a fellowship of difference. And in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9, John has this amazing revelation, this vision that he has, and he says, there before me was this great multitude of people worshiping God, and he says what? From every tribe, every people, every language, everyone, saved by grace, seeking to build our lives in such a way that they are in alignment with Jesus and His teaching. And so we pray as we will now sing, open up my eyes in wonder, show me who you are, God, and fill me. Fill me with your heart. You see, this whole passage is describing God's heart for His people. Fill your, fill your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and I'm going to invite you to stand as I close in prayer and we'll sing this song together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how our study in Acts just challenges us, encourages us. God, like Peter, maybe we are in need of a change of heart this morning. God, reveal to us those places where maybe it's hard for us to admit that there is prejudice. And I pray that we would be people about racial reconciliation. And I do, I I love the fact that I can look out at this congregation and see that we have people from the Far East and the Middle East and from Central America and Europe, Africa. God, we're thankful for what you are doing And I pray that you do more of it. That we would be a church family that is united, that accepts one another. Loves one another. So Lord, change my heart. Change our hearts. Father, maybe there are those here this morning that can identify with Cornelius a little bit. Maybe they are people who pray and are generous, devout, even God-fearing. But they have not yet encountered the living Jesus. God, bring them to yourself and pour your spirit into their lives in such a way that it's unmistakable and that we would all realize that yes, in fact, God shows absolutely no favoritism. And so God, build our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.